0: Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you. If you live in the area, go to brave.church/homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Well, hey, welcome to Brave Church. We're so glad you're here today. Um, If it's your first Sunday joining us in the new year, last Sunday, we started a new teaching series called The Gospel of Mark, and it's one of the four books that tell the story of Jesus' life. And in it, we find some incredible stories of people experiencing Jesus. So this book's full of these stories, miracles, love, joy, peace, happiness, sorrow. I mean, this book has it all. But a little disclaimer, today we're not going to get to any of those stories, Because we're coming up on two verses that introduce us to a concept that is vital to understanding God's vision for life and for this planet. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to go to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Who's got an actual Bible with them? I love you. You guys are awesome. I got this Bible for Christmas, and uh, I really like it. Also, if you want some notes, the ushers are on the sides right now. You're going to want notes today, and you you can follow along. Uh, With the scriptures and the notes, you can go on your phone or you can use your Bible like me. But we're going to look today at the kingdom of God. How many of you think that uh, if, if I was bringing volunteers up here, that you could explain to all of us just briefly what the kingdom of God is? I think I think some of you could, but many of us couldn't because it's, it's a little bit of a fuzzy subject. It's a little bit challenging, hard to wrap our minds around because it's so big. In fact, you can go your entire life hearing about it, but never really know what the Bible means by the kingdom of God. So we're going to take a 30,000-foot view as we work through these verses, and our goal is to see the big picture of what God's kingdom is and what it means for our lives, but I'm going to be upfront with you before we get into it. The first half is a lot of information. Uh, we have a lot of history and a lot of background to cover. There, there's plenty of talks on the three P's of prayer or the four C's of character or the five K's of kingdom. Okay. There's a place for those sermons, but this isn't one of those. Today we're looking at something much bigger. This is, wis- this isn't wisdom for your life or how to's for your marriage. It's if you believe that God is real what is his mission? What is his purpose in this world? You guys are smart. You guys are reasonable. You're intelligent. You're good looking. You guys, you guys have it all. Okay. So I believe in you. Hang on tight because the first half is going to be a lot of information, but there's going to be a huge payoff in the second half. Um, Any history majors in the house? No. Okay. So nobody has a leg up this service. But we're all, we're all in it together. Okay. Mark 1 verse 14 and 15. Let's read this. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So Jesus has come on the scene. We learned last week he came on the scene. He's baptized and then he goes into the wilderness where he's tested. And after this, this is where his ministry begins. So, it, so John uh, John the Baptist, he's thrown in prison. He's locked up, and it creates this void and a clear distinction between the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus. And so Jesus steps into that void, and he comes to, uh, th- comes to us in this obscure corner of the empire in a place called Galilee. So verse 15, The time has come, he said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that this this truth that we find in your word, I pray that today it would penetrate our hearts. I pray that if we know the truth and if we know you, that we would be awakened at a whole other level to the reality of your kingdom in our world today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, so this phrase, uh, proclaiming the good news of God, is a quote from the prophet Isaiah. Let's take a look at Isaiah 61. This is in your notes. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is a prophecy about the coming anointed one, the coming Messiah who will usher in a new world order where Yahweh is sovereign, meaning Yahweh is king. See, in Mark chapter 1, he's saying all this Isaiah stuff that was uh, talked about hundreds of years ago, proclaiming good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, comfort for those who mourn, all of this stuff is coming to pass in and through Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah. So this phrase, the good news, is one word in the Greek, and it can be translated good news or gospel And it's literally an announcement. What is the gospel? It says, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So, this is Mark's summary of the gospel of Jesus. This is him in a few short verses giving us a concise version of what the gospel is. And it's broken down into two parts it's a two part summary. Number one, an announcement, and number two, a call to respond. And so these are the two things that we're going to look at today. What was Jesus's announcement? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And then what was his call to action? Repent and believe the good news. Believe in this message that I'm announcing to you. So we need to ask three questions that are going to help us understand this text. And the first one is, what is the kingdom of God? Put simply, the kingdom of God is God's rulership. It's the exercising of God's power and authority and what you and I would call government. So in summary, the world is under a brand new government, a new king is in power, evil has been dethroned, and it's time for justice and a whole new way of living. Jesus has a lot to say on this subject, and I think he's kind of an authority. And when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he says something interesting. This is how he teaches them to begin to pray. He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is a poetic device known as parallelism. In other words, two ways of saying the same thing. In your notes, the kingdom of God is a space where God's will is done. The kingdom of God is a space Where God's will is done. This could be in a man. This could be in a woman. This could be in a thing, in a garden, in a home church, in a blank canvas, or even in a city. It's a space where God is king and God is exercising his authority to the point where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The word used for heaven is the same Greek word for sky or outer space or even air. Heaven is as close to us as the air we breathe or the air that we feel as the wind blows it against our faces. That's how close we are to heaven. Heaven is the space or the invisible world around us where God's will is always done. But earth is the space that you and I inhabit where God's will is not always done. It's a place where God's will doesn't always happen. There are other wills at play. There are spiritual wills, angelic and demonic. There are human wills. Your will, my will, uh, politicians' wills, CEOs' wills. There are other kings and kingdoms, and they're in conflict, and they do not share God's vision for humanity. So we live stuck between these two, and Jesus is saying all of that conflict between heaven and earth, it's all about to change. So God's rule has come near. The second question that we need to ask is, what does it mean for the kingdom to come near. Some translations say, come near. Others say, at hand. Some even say that it's here. So imagine with me uh, any road trippers in the house. Anybody. We're going on a road trip, okay? I hate road trips. My, my dad on the front row here, he loves road trips. And especially if we're driving to Tahoe, a three-hour drive, it's like 30 minutes to him. Okay, he even road trips around just the 680, up and down, you know, around the neighborhood, praying for you guys. And he loves to drive. I don't like road trips. I found in life there's two types of people, journey people and destination people. I'm one of the latter. I just want to get there, be in the moment. But um, let's say that we're on a road trip together. We've all been convinced we're on this road trip. And this is pre-GPS. So we really don't know how long it's going to take. We've got a, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're just uh, strapped in, right? It's going to be a while. We're, we're looking at the map. We're stopping by gas stations, maybe. We're asking, hey, do you know how far this city is? But imagine with me, we come around a bend, or we go over a hill, and we see a sign, and it says, welcome to the city. Oh my gosh, we've made it. We've arrived. But we look around, and we don't see any houses. We don't see any buildings. We don't even see any people. So we're, we're in the city, but we're not really in the city yet. And this is what Jesus is getting at. It's in this sense that Jesus is conveying that the kingdom of God is here. So the last question, the third question we need to ask is what would this have sounded like to first century Jews? This is the part that it gets a bit dense, but bear with me, the payoff's coming. The first century, Jews were waiting eagerly for the coming of God's kingdom. They were really looking forward to it. There was a guy that we talked about back in December. You might remember Joseph of Arimathea. He was a Pharisee, and he was a follower of Jesus, and uh, he was a typical Jewish man waiting uh, in the first century, waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Jews in this time, they divided time into two ages, The age, uh, the present age, where sin, death, and everything in between is, is taking place. It's human trafficking, it's HIV, it's genocide, it's everything bad. And then the age to come, which will be marked by a brand new reality, where God will rule not only over Israel, but over everything, over the cosmos, and everything will be made right, and it will be as God intended from the very beginning, now this belief came from, the, from prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament that taught them to look forward to this age to come. So we're going to take a look at two prophecies that clearly would have been in Mark's mind when he was using this language and he was writing these verses. And the first one is in Isaiah 40, verse 3. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then let's skip down to verse 9 where he continues, You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid, and say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. This was their big message. This was their big announcement. This was written at a time where they were in slavery under Babylon, they were oppressed they were persecuted, and they were looking forward to the day where they would go up to the top of a mountain and they would shout, our God is back. Look what else it says. It says, see the sovereign Lord, he comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. This phrase, see the sovereign Lord, meaning God is king and he rules with a mighty arm. In the Aramaic, Targum, which is the translation that Mark would have been using when he wrote his gospel, this is actually translated the kingdom of God has come near. See, Jesus is quoting this passage and he's saying, This is what my life is all about. He's saying, I'm here to do this, I'm here to lead human history into a whole new reality. In the book of Daniel, we see a really smart, sharp young guy, and he's in slavery to the king, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And this king starts having these crazy visions, and he calls on Daniel to interpret them. And so we're going to read this passage. It's a long passage, but it's key to understanding how the Jewish people would have been interpreting and hearing the words of Jesus. So let's start chapter 2, verse 31. Verse 31. It says, your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, and an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly baked of clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and it smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain, and it filled the whole earth. This is why Daniel doesn't work great as a bedtime story. Your kids are like, what's going on? (laughs) Right? But then verse 36, it's going to start to make sense. It says, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all of mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he's made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. And next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Now skip down to verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king that what will take place in the future, the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. See, around the time of Jesus, Jews were reading this story over and over again. It had been three to 400 years, and there had been not one, not two, not three, but four kingdoms. The Babylonians, the Persians, Alexander the Great, the Greeks, the Roman Empire, each of these had oppressed God's chosen people. And so they're following this prophecy and they're connecting the dots. And they're like, okay, it's time. It's time for the Messiah. It's time for the one that Isaiah has been talking about and the prophecy of Daniel. And so they're looking for him. And we actually have texts of them arguing about how this would happen and when it would come about. And then a rabbi from the north named Jesus, shows up, and he says what? He says, the time has come. Now, there are two words for time in the Greek language. We have chronos, speaking of an exact time. It's exactly 1043. But we have kairos, which is a different kind of time. Um, There's a guy named Josh Standard. He's our graphic designer here at Brave. And him and his wife actually live in London. And they just gave birth. So shout out to Josh and Maha. There we go. They're, they're following along on the podcast. But this second kind of time is like when Maha says to Josh, honey, it's time. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the waiting is over. What all of human history has been waiting for, it's actually starting to be birthed through me. It's starting to break in and through me. God's rule is about to take over the planet. A new world order is about to begin. And this is a shocking and explosive announcement to be making. So now the question that we've all been waiting for how does this affect you and me? The second part is Jesus' call to respond, to repent and believe the good news, to believe in his announcement. And this message demands a response because this announcement it really causes us to rethink everything. The old lifestyle of indifference to God and his will has to be abandoned. There's a a theologian who's alive today. He's one of the foremost New Testament theologians. His name is N.T. Wright. And I had an opportunity to hear him lecture in the city a few years ago. And the way he translates this passage is, give up your agenda and trust me with mine. See, we all have agendas, even if you're nice. You know, I think I'm a nice guy most of the time. I think you guys are nice people. But we all have agendas. There's hundreds of you in this room. That's a lot of agendas, Every single one of us has one. We all have something that we're hanging on to, that we're working towards, that we're waiting for. And I have no idea what your agenda is, but what Jesus is saying is he's saying, if your agenda doesn't line up with my kingdom dream, then you're going to have to give it up to follow me. If what you're chasing after has little or nothing to do with God's rule over the world, it's not worth it. You're chasing the wind. Don't waste your time, your money, your talent, your personality, your past, your dreams. Don't waste them on something that's passing away because life is short. How many of you know someone who died recently or maybe in the last year died too young? Life is short. Do you really want to waste it on the American dream? If you're here and you've decided to follow Jesus, never forget that you are a human being with the life of God inside you, and you're a part of a greater kingdom than what most of this world is living for. We gotta get a better dream than a nice home and a secure financial future. There's nothing wrong with those things, but we have a responsibility to steward what we have. It should connect somehow to God's kingdom and his kingdom dream. Help out a single mom. Help out a single dad. Do something for someone that can't help themselves. What's your greatest life goal? Maybe you haven't identified it. You haven't written it down. You haven't done any goal-setting exercises. But I guarantee you, you're working towards something. You're living for something. Is your greatest pursuit in life taking a company public or going on a cruise to Mexico? (laughs) There's a better dream. And I don't mean just church. We don't want all of you to quit your jobs and come work here. We couldn't pay you. (laughs) Really. Um, We believe God works through our vocation. There's a great book that I'm going through with a young man in our church. We meet up weekly, and we're going through this book called Every Great Endeavor. And the tagline is connecting your work to God's work. We believe God wants your work to be connected to his kingdom dreams. But do you know how it connects? Have you discovered how your work connects to God's kingdom. I hear a lot of people in church talk about passion. Passion's really popular. It's a beautiful thing. And God uses our passions to guide and direct us. But urgency is the real key here because urgency prioritizes our passion. Imagine with me, you're sitting in a doctor's office and you've been given some very bad news. You have six months left to live. How might you live differently with those six months than you would normally live with the next six months? Do it now. This is the urgency of the gospel. You see, repentance isn't just about saying sorry. It's giving up your agenda and anything that doesn't fit within the long-term vision that God has for the world. It's saying, God, I want to spend my greatest energies, my greatest resources. I'm going to organize my life around your agenda. Don't live for a world that's passing away. Live for one that's coming to pass. What do you need to give up in order to follow Jesus? That's a tough question. When we really ask ourselves that question, when we really allow it to confront us, it's a tough question. What do we need to set aside? What do we need to move on from in order to follow, to repent? When I hear this word believe, I tend to think of facts. I think of it almost like a math problem, like E equals MC square or something, like it's a a logical thing, like I've decided I believe in this, in this reality. But a better translation is trust. To turn and trust. See, everyone is trusting or turning to someone or something for their worldview. Maybe it's CNN, maybe it's Fox News. I hope it's neither of those. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a counselor, maybe it's a professor or a parent. All of you are trusting in someone or something for your worldview, someone to help you define what is ultimate reality for what you think matters and what you think doesn't matter. And Jesus's invitation is trust me. He's saying, I'm trustworthy. My worldview, my kingdom dream is trustworthy. And what I'm telling you about the future, it's the truth. So what's the difference between believing and trusting? Um, It's kind of like if you're flying across country or you're going across country, and you believe that flying is the safest and the fastest way to get there. You believe that. But trusting is going to the airport, buying a ticket, getting on a plane, buckling up, and going. That's trusting. When Jesus says, repent and believe, he's not just saying, raise your hand. He's saying, get on an airplane. What is God stirring up in your life, imagination, and heart that has to do with God's kingdom? And are you acting on that? Are you acting as if the future is now? Or do you say, I believe, but, but then if you look at my budget, or if you look at my time, if you look at what, what I'm doing with my life, what story does that tell? That's the moment of truth. To trust is to act on what you know to be true. So where do you need to act? Where do you need to live as though Jesus has come and his kingdom is breaking into this world? That's the invitation of Jesus, and that's his call to action. So if you're here and you're new to brave, and maybe you're not sure what you believe or where you're at, that's okay, okay? This isn't the hard sell at the end of the sermon. I think far too many people have been turned off to the Christianity of Jesus, because preachers, we tend to fall into this trap of thinking that our timing and God's timing in someone else's life are always the same, but they're not necessarily. That said, there is an urgency. Um, How many of you saw what happened in Hawaii yesterday? Crazy, right? Everybody on the islands vacationing, living there, they all got an emergency message saying that a nuke was on its way to their island. And it said, this is not a test. Like I saw um, this morning on Instagram, a pastor friend of ours, he's like, man, guys, I had a great hour conversation with my kids while we were waiting to see what what was going to happen. I mean, it was intense. But moments like that, they highlight the urgency of life, that it is so short and you don't know what's going to happen. Tomorrow is not promised. Don't take too long to figure out what you believe. Don't wait till it's too late. Life is short. So if you're ready and you're like, I'm in, I want in this kingdom, we're going to have a baptism Sunday next Sunday. That's the, the response we see in scripture to deciding to follow Jesus. What the wedding ceremony is to marriage, baptism is to following Jesus. So when you're ready to take that step, the water's always open. You're invited into God's kingdom. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, there are two things that you need to know, and the first one is this call to respond and repent and believe, it's a command. Jesus is giving us a command, and the second thing in the Greek is it's in the present and future tense. It's an ongoing act. It's not a one-time event. It's not that one time when you were a kid at summer camp or, or a few years ago when you raised your hand and decided to follow. It's an ongoing thing that we're repenting and trusting all the time, that we're in a habit of regularly laying things down, setting aside dreams, trading in our agendas for God's agenda because he is our king. Now, before we wrap up, we have to ask one question. How can any of this be true? I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and there is a lot going on in the world. It doesn't always look, definitely doesn't feel like God's kingdom is here. What about the shootings in Vegas? What about the mudslides in Montecito or the North Bay fires? Or the racism and the, the, the tension and the power struggles between the rich and the poor and all of the inequality that we see, not just in our country, but in the world? Almost every year, I find myself in a conversation with somebody who has been a follower of Jesus or a Christian for a long time, but they're wrestling with, man, how can God be good when all these things are still happening? How can, how can Jesus say things like, my kingdom's come, yet the world hasn't in 2,000 years, maybe it hasn't changed the way we would have thought? So the answer to that question is in this passage. It's that we live in the now and the not yet. See, sometimes Jesus, he would talk about the kingdom in the present tense, in the right now, but other times in a future tense, like it's not yet here, it's on the horizon, and it's coming. So which is it? It's both. Scripture talks about two comings of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the resurrected Lord, the King of Kings, he had a first coming, and this inaugurated the kingdom rule of God. But his second coming will usher in the kingdom once and for all. This is known as inaugurated eschatology. And if you can spell that, I'll give you like 20 points, okay? Eschatology is the study of the future. Inaugurated eschatology is this idea that Jesus, in his coming, inaugurated God's future rule over the earth. He he dragged the future into the present. But God's not fully here yet. It's kind of like if you, if you have a date night. You know, you've budgeted for your date night. You've got child care. You're going to this restaurant you've never been to, and you're so excited. And you sit down, and you order some appetizers. And those appetizers come, and you're eating them. And you're like, oh, this is so good. But you still want the main course. You still want more. And it's the same way as followers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, part of the greatest kingdom on earth. We get a glimpse, but we're still hungry. For example, when we pray for people to be healed, but they're not always healed. My mom, she was diagnosed 13 years ago with multiple sclerosis. And we've been praying for her healing ever since. And she's, she's, she's taken her health so seriously. She's one of the healthiest people I know. We've done all the procedures, everything we can, but the disease is still progressing. And it's slowly getting worse. And we think our prayers, we think God is slowing the process. You know She's approaching the point where she may not be able to walk much longer. Imagine losing that. Imagine losing your ability to walk or do so many things that you love to do. What do we do with that? This is the tension. We're at a restaurant, but we haven't gotten the meal yet. We haven't gotten the full-course meal. We're, We're not all the way there. Some scholars refer to this as the time between the times. We still have sickness and death but we pray for healing, and sometimes God answers our prayers, and we can't stop praying. This last semester, we actually had a home church where one of the uh, moms, her daughter, was diagnosed with an aggressive form of leukemia, and so they got together, and they all prayed for her, and miraculously, her leukemia went into remission, and the odds weren't good. That's amazing. You should amen that. (laughs) That deserves an amen. Sometimes we pray for people to be healed and nothing happens. In fact, sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes they die. And even when God does heal, it's still delaying an inevitable because in this life we all die. The kingdom of God is still coming, and there is still sickness, and there is still death, but we must still pray because the kingdom of God is here. This is the now and the not yet because the kingdom of God is still coming. We're still dealing with the aftermath of broken families, and we're still in pain. But because the kingdom of God is here, we're a family, and we take care of each other. Because the kingdom is still coming, human trafficking exists. But because the kingdom of God is here, in the last four months, we raised $115,000 to help rescue and rehabilitate girls in Oakland who are caught in human trafficking, Uh, to give to Teen Esteem, a local organization that's helping with suicide prevention in our high schools, to help overburdened families in our region, and to spread the message of Jesus and the gospel throughout this region. You are the presence of God in the Bay Area. You represent the presence of God, the kingdom of God in this region. Next week, we're going to see Jesus calling the first humans into the process of being a part of building his kingdom, and we're going to see where some of our responsibilities lie in doing this. But we live in the now and the not yet, and we get a taste of freedom, we get a taste of transformation, but we all still can feel, if you're a follower of Jesus, we can still feel the tension of the work that God is still doing in our lives. And so maybe you're here and you're like me, you're at a pretty good place, you're at a happy place. But for others, maybe you're at a point where you're just below desperate. And, you, and something, some things may come to mind in this moment, some things that you're wrestling with or some things that you need help. Maybe there's a specific area. It could be your family, it could be your marriage, it could be your physical health. And you'd say today, God, I need a taste of heaven now, not when I die. I need the kingdom of God. I need some of your kingdom rule in my life in this moment. And so we're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to invite the band to come out just to play behind us, and then they're going to lead us into a time of worship. But if that's where you're at this morning, I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to ask you to stand where you're seated just so that those around you can pray for you. If there's something in your life that you need prayer for, that you need God's kingdom rule, that you need that taste of heaven, I'm gonna ask you, just go ahead and stand up. Just be brave. We're all for you in this moment. You know, nobody's judging you, nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, and then once everybody's standing, that's awesome. If you're, if you're sitting around someone who's standing, we're just gonna take a few moments and just lay hands on them, pray for them, ask them how you can pray for them, because prayer works, we believe in prayer. We believe that God cares, that nothing's too small, nothing's too big. So I'm gonna pray right now and then we'll, we'll go into this prayer time. Please pray for those who are standing. God, I pray that you would occupy this space. I pray that you would occupy this space, that your kingdom would rule in this moment in each and every one of our lives. God, I pray for those who are who are desperate for something, who need your help, who who need something in their life that only you can do. God, I pray that you would answer those prayers today. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your sacrifice. And I thank you that you have a plan and that we can be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only he can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.